Hi there, my name is Brandon Boat, and you're listening to the Theater of Public Policy podcast, which presents the interviews from our live stage shows. Our guest today is Mike Veck, who is the founder of Fun is Good and the co-owner of five minor league baseball clubs, including the St. Paul Saints. He was on the show to talk about the importance of fun and why we need a little more laughter in our lives. So excited have to have the you microphone. Here. Thank you so much for being here. I'm the, this is terrifically exciting. I'm, I'm so happy to have you. Thank you for being here. So um, let's do a way back. This is let's do a way back machine question to start. You are from a long line of uh, baseball folks, which we learned in doing some research for this show. Your grandfather was in baseball. Your father was in baseball. You're, so do you remember your first baseball memory? We're too stupid to do anything else. Well, that, that's all I know how to do. Well, do you remember the first time that you realized you were too stupid to do anything else? Yeah. Uh, I, I have to show you, though. No, please. Go nuts. I, I was eight years old, and I was holding my father's hand. This is very unmanly. I was holding my father's hand. So that would be 59 years ago, and we walked up these stairs, and there was nothing but concrete on the south side of Chicago, and there was a baseball field a playground, the greenest grass I'd ever seen, and I'm still holding his hand, and I never, I haven't felt safe since that moment. That was the last time, and holding his hand, I was like, I can feel it right now, I'm like remembering what, and he had a wooden leg, so it was very cool, you know, I look normal. So, do you need to make that joke? Do you want me to hold your hand? Will that help? Like, are you, okay, so. uh, Dad? So, so then when, at some point, you decided, like, I'm going to do this then. Like, I, I'm going to, this is my life. I'm going to devote myself to this. I, I, I got out of school on Tuesday. I packed up my Maverick, my this Ford Tuesday? Maverick. Yeah, last Tuesday. <laughs> and I put all my stuff in the front seat of the car. I took my last exam. I drove away. I joined a rock and roll band. And I had more fun for the next three years. And then my father called me one day, and we were estranged. We were never very close. And he said, "Um, I'm going to buy the White Sox. And I said, how? And he said, wouldn't you like to see that? And I said, I made more money than you last year, and I didn't do very well. How are you going to do that with other people's money, he said. So I went to work for him. It repaired my relationship with him, and I never had more fun in my life. So that's an amazing, because your father, when he bought that, was one of the last, if not the last sort of non, you know, multimillionaire to actually buy a baseball team. And so you've watched, like, this industry. Did you get hold of his tax returns? I wish. They're sealed up somewhere that we don't get access to them anymore. Calvin was actually the last. I think we went busted right before Calvin. Because Calvin's whole family worked for him, so you couldn't tell how many people really worked for him. We didn't have a lot of people in our family. Well, we were Catholic. We had a lot of people. <laughs> so uh, so you were having fun with all this. And then um, at some point, though, I, I mean, not to just flatter you, but you took it to a whole nother level. Your father has a lot of good, uh, great stories to his name. Everybody wanted me to ask you about, you know, murder of disco, but I was like, well, that's, that's your father's story, but you were, you were there for that. Do you, wanna, do you have anything you want to say about the death of disco? I don't want to offend any of you who are good dancers. Obviously, you know I'm not. Um, but Casey and the Sunshine Band, that's the way, uh-huh, uh-huh, I like it. It's not really a song. It might be an anthem. Yeah, that one, that one. And, and so I was walking down the street in Michigan Avenue one day, and there was a guy named Steve Dahl on the radio on WLUP, and he used to blow up a disco record every morning on his show, The Insane Coho Lips. And we were doing so poorly... 
that year that I thought, maybe we should blow them up live. Not Steve Dahl, but records. And so we invited everybody in Chicago to bring a, an album. And 100,000 people showed up. We blew up 30,000. Donna Summers was a big loser in the Bee Gees. It was the most beautiful explosion. And 250 feet in the air at the very top was my career. And I left Chicago the next day. I haven't been home since. Oh. But it's the biggest record. It's the biggest um, um, night crowd in the history of Chicago baseball, which I was very proud of before, before I got fired by my mother. So there, we could do an entire, like, just family therapy session here. But instead, uh, let's... I wet my bed till I was 11. So, you know, being sent to someone's house. You know how when you're a kid you want to go to somebody's house and say, Oh, I want to stay over at Johnny's house? I didn't want to. My mother go, You! Arizona, you're going to Johnny's house tonight. I'm like, no, please. I can't stay up all night. I'm sorry. It just got away from me. No, that's uh, fascinating. I'm, you do realize there are improvisers who are listening to all of this, and they're just going to, that's fine. That's good. It'll be helpful later. So I want to see him go over the Red yeah. Cross rules for water safety uh, before going to bed tonight. So uh, ooh. Uh, so, uh, so you, uh, you left Chicago, and um, you built on all of this, right? So, like, this notion that, uh, again, as your organization is called, fun is good. Actually, let me ask you just that for the first part, because I, I believe that w- was that your just notion of a, a tagline, like, fun is good as the name? Do you remember saying, like, that should be the name of a company? I stole it from Theodore Geisel. It's only once in the Dr. Seuss books, but it says fun is good, with apologies for stealing it. Um, I felt very guilty all these years, and and we came to St. Paul in November of 91, and my wife said, you know, you're going to have to write something down. And we didn't even have a computer. We had a typewriter, and, and she said, how are you going to run this club? You need to tell people what you're going to do. And I typed, fun is good. I was exhausted. <laughs> I had a cigarette. <laughs> I waited to be adored. She said, the kids need shoes. And that was it. 26, this is the 27th year of the Saints, and it's all based on the fact that people now more than ever need fun. I thought they needed it then. I mean, the Twins were playing great baseball. They won two world championships. And what I love about Minnesotans is they do the exact opposite of whatever the sports writers tell them, because here was Roycey. Oh, God, Vic! He's an idiot! I mean... You don't need a doctor to know that. And Sid Hartman was great. He goes, I really liked his father. His father, his father was handicapped. And Mike has no idea how handicapped he is. He'll be out of business in three months. And my wife would listen to this and go, are we going to go broke? Do we have to go back to Chicago where you blew up those disco records? And I said, no, people are going to come. And they did. And I am so appreciative that you all did because this ball club has been the single next to my family, the greatest thing that's ever happened to me, including getting fired by four major league teams. <laughs> so so you, uh, you said at some point uh, the Saints had to be fun. Uh, it couldn't just be baseball. So can uh, unpack that for me. What did you mean by that? Why did, it ha- why did you know that like, the Saints needed to be fun? Tomorrow night there will be 8,000 people, hopefully, with weather. 35% of those people are there for the baseball. 65% don't even know who we're playing. Do you, know who, do you know who you're playing? No. <laughs> you got to do research, man. You know, you got to be with the folks. They don't know whether you win or lose, but they all know whether they had fun. And it's been the same. 
when I worked for the Detroit Tigers, 35% of the people who came to Comerica Park for four years loved the baseball, and 65% came for the fun and games. If you've got the greatest baseball played across the river by the Twins, you can't come in and say, hey, I don't we're know if play. it's the greatest baseball anymore, but it's something. You uh, can say that. I can't. When Andy McPhail was here, they stunk. I yeah. don't like Andy. I got some hostility in me. Uh, go nuts. Uh, How about those Orioles? They're doing well. Oh, sorry. So, uh, so uh, one more question on this, because you uh, have developed a reputation, the name of our show tonight, Funnest Man in Baseball. You've created all these wonderful things. Um, and you have all these wonderful promotions that happen throughout shows. I remember my first experience with the Saints. I uh, had just moved to the Twin Cities, and it was right around the time that uh, then-Senator Larry Craig had been like caught in the... He was uh, a limbo expert. Yeah. He got into a very wide stance at the airport. He did. And you all, you all gave away to, like, the first 10,000 fans that night, like, uh, action figure toilet stalls that had legs that, like, dangled out of the bottom, I believe. But this is my question with this, which is that... I'm sorry, Mom. She, it so embarrassed her. The, Larry Craig's campaign manager called and ordered six of them. That's the truth. Is it? That's amazing. Uh, <laughs> I knew we were on to something. That is great. But that, that's my question. Like, how do you know where... Uh, how, this is a serious question. How do you know where the line is? Because uh, have you ever done something that didn't work? Oh, God. Almost yeah. every day, yeah. Yeah. So, like, how do you... Like, ha- have you figured that out over the years? Like, oh, that, that's too much. Or... Last year, we, we had Tim Tebow, and he came out. You know, and we played the Hallelujah Chorus, and we put John 9.23 in his eye makeup. They thought we pushed that a little too far. We got murdered. We ended up giving $5,000 to, to Tim's Heavenly Fund. Um, it creates angels. Uh, but, yes, you make mistakes all the time. But when did it become wrong to make a mistake? I mean, this is, this is a night of improv, of joy, and... And we make mistakes all the time, and those are what turn into some of the funniest bits. I mean, one of my partners is Bill Murray. That was a mistake. Uh, everybody Go knows on. I made a mistake. I needed money. I called him up. I said, look, we need money. We're in St. Paul. You'll have a lot of fun. You have some family in Wisconsin, and they're Packer fans, so we already are hated. And, you know, so come on up here. And he did. And, uh, but you have ideas all the time. And, and Wait, but go back to why was it a mistake? Having Bill? Yeah. Well, because he was the inspiration for Fun is Good. He, if some of you may recall, his first time on Letterman, he spray-painted his name on Letterman's desk. And the next morning, I went into my job and spray-painted my name on my boss's desk, and I got fired. <laughs> I like we've only been talking for 10 minutes, and you've gotten fired twice. Uh... Oh, I've been fired more times than anybody except whoever's here from radio has been fired more, but that's the only job you can get fired more than I have been. So let's, I want to take this into, so the baseball thing makes perfect sense, I imagine, to a lot of people. They're like, yeah, I want to go to a baseball game and have fun. You, though, now have built an empire, a business, on going to uh, places that we maybe don't immediately think of as fun and talking to them about why this is valuable and important for if they're, you know, a computer software company or an HR firm or tax accountants or whatever it is, like these large companies, and you preach this gospel as fun is good to them. Was that a hard transition or switch or translation? It it was hard for me, but my partners, Karen 
um, Chapel and Franzuli both came from corporate background, and they said, you know, funds in short supply. And then I remembered I was at the Turner Center one night, um, and I was hired to speak to some group by American Express. And I was with the Detroit Tigers. I was the senior vice president in charge of blah, 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 blah. And that guy was delighted to hire me. When I got there, I'd been fired by the Tigers, and I was now the owner of the St. Paul Saints, a minor league guy, and that guy couldn't get me off his shoes fast enough. And I thought to myself, you know, companies in America don't have much fun, and people sit in cubicles, and they don't have fun. And when you come to a ball game, all we're trying to do for three hours is remind you that it's not about the mortgage or your car payment or my daughter's blind, so it's hard for her to get around. We think about what people experience in their life and try to be a bomb for that. You know, and, and so I, I think that's why it's so important. And, and there's desperation in, in the workplace so many times. I mean, I love what I do. <laughs> I, I, for 40 years, they paid me based on my level of immaturity. Do you, do you take interns? I, uh, but uh, How do you mean do I take them? Am I like Adele of the Hun? We will take all the interns out back. So we can, this is one of those. Oh, we got an intern far. candidate um, over here. So, uh, you can be chairman of the board if you can answer three questions. What's your name? What are you stirring into that glass? And are you old enough to be stirring it? And I like that he doesn't have to answer accurately. Yeah. Um, has this guy... Has, has this work gotten? Thank you, Dennis. Has this work gotten uh, harder or easier? Do you feel like people ha- are better at having fun, or like you, it's harder than it was when you first started doing this? People are better at having fun, but their attention spans are shorter. So you got to grab them by the throat pretty quickly. Where you used which to is be able to build. so fun. You know, I mean, Springsteen's <laughs> album, for example, the third one, or R.E.M. or whomever you happen to like musically, they could all do a throwaway album or two. Now you've got to come out and sell 750,000 units or you're not going to do it. So people are much smarter. The kids today are much smarter. They know more about the world. It's a, you know, the world has shrunk. But they have to be entertained more quickly. And that's, that's sometimes, well, I mean, not my age. My wife's entertained in 42, 43 nanoseconds. So it, it's, it's fine. Uh, so it's, uh, I'm just moving on. I'm uh, Catholic. Uh, I, that's the dirtiest I get. That's great. That's good. That's a family show, everybody. <laughs> so, um, so I imagine that employees are like thrilled like to have you come in and, and your colleagues that you mentioned like come in and talk about fun is good. Uh, if I work for a company, I want to have good. But I, what about, you already mentioned sort of some of the managers. Like what, what do you, uh, they're like, sure, we'll have like a day of fun. But there's more to the message that you do than this, right? Like because it's not just fun is good for the sake of fun. It actually, you, your philosophy is that it actually makes these companies and people better. People are allowed to make mistakes. That's the number one thing I think if you ask employees of the Saints what they love the most. They're allowed to try things, and if it doesn't work, we all kind of go, well, it didn't work. I don't know if you know this, but Bush Beans has 86% of the bean market in America. They have a talking dog. The dog doesn't really talk. Everybody in Bush Beans history told me the dog doesn't really talk. Okay, we had a press conference all across the country with the talking dog. It was a funny little bit. You know, it was kind of a... Little, it was our own little improv. They sold the idea for $4 million. And that's what every one of us has, an idea every night that is bankable. But companies don't nurture that 
kind of creativity. And so when you're happy, you go, hey, does this work? And, you know, what's the worst thing in the world? Somebody thinks they're with the Supremes and they go, stop in the name of ideas before you break my heart. Gonna let you two go for a bit. God, that's uh, so wonderful. It's like having a jukebox in your pants. <laughs> so, uh, does it? Do you have you been able to convince? I guess business owners, managers, that level of folks. Um, you know that this works. There, you can actually monetize like fun. Oh, I love not, that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, you can convince people. Um, My favorite story is somebody, I I know no one here has ever seen Caddyshack, but but for those of you who don't know what Caddyshack is, Bill Bill and and Harold Ramis and Brian Doyle wrote that and took it to all the motion picture houses in America, and no one thought a movie about a gopher and a golfer would be funny. (laughs) How would you like those? You can see those guys with their power ties going, I don't really think that's funny. Next. Well, they sold it back to Warner Brothers about 10 years ago. I know that because I was running clips on TV without paying Warner Brothers. So I got fined for that. But you can monetize. Jimmy Buffett fans, there's not really a Margaritaville, but you have a dozen margaritas, and you swear to God you were in Margaritaville. Where were you last night? Oh, I was with Jimmy in Margaritaville. You can monetize fun. You just need a company that will just give you 10 minutes to present an idea. So what, uh, the, the last piece, and I should say, as always, we open up for you all to ask questions of our guest in the second that half of the show. That was very subtle. What do you mean? No, what? I'm, that we're going we're, we're to turn it over to the improvisers here. But the, the last piece on this I wanted to ask you is, uh, it can be, you know, when you're around, easy to be fun. We're all having fun. This is great. But then you go home at some point, and these companies have to figure out how to be fun on their own. So what, when you're giving folks ideas or how to build an actual culture of fun, to do it on their own, what do, you, what do you tell them? You find one person and start a revolution. You find one person that is like-minded, who absolutely isn't like you, isn't like you, but is like-minded, enjoys humor, and you build a revolution that way. And there are people, the strangest people gather around the coffee machine, the water cooler, and it's always there. You have to create simply a place that it's okay to laugh, to be silly. I mean, I could see people go, he, says, he just said he wet his bed until he was nine years old. People are like, well, that's the house I grew up in. I grew up with nine kids, nine brothers and sisters. It was like a moving city. You know, my mother was committed three or four different times, and she didn't have a baby in the same state twice. Everyone from a different state. Really? That's how companies should be run. So that they go, hey, who's that lady over there sitting with that lucky guy? And she laughs. She laughs easily. So she could join with that lady right there and set up a company. And suddenly you have people who believe in humor. Humor sells. I can tell you. And people say all the time that you can't monetize it. Well, those are the guys who buy those really bad ties and send emails all the time. Where's Mary? Well, Mary's on vacation because she won the championship for the greatest idea in the company. Well, why didn't I? Because your next idea will be your first, you moron. Why did you look at me? On that note, please, a tremendous round of applause for our amazing guest, Mike Beck, everybody. Okay, that's very good. Very nice. Uh, oh, I forgot to mention, if you have a question uh, and you'd like to ask a question, I will uh, I'd be very happy to give you a theater of public policy pap socket 
or sticker if you don't want a pop socket. I've also got stickers. So uh, please raise your hand uh, if you have a question. I will run towards you in a non-threatening manner uh, and reward you with a pop socket or a uh, sticker. All right. Da, da, da. I got one over here, and then I'll come over there. Hello. Hi, Mike. So we went hi. to hi. We went to a Saints game that was sponsored by the Atheists of of Minnesota a few years ago, and all of your players had their shirts instead of Saints. It said Aints, which I loved. And I just wondered how many extra uniforms you guys end up making every year for for themes like that. Um, it depends. If it gets national coverage like that one, we make a lot of them. And then we call it a limited run. That was a limited run of 1,500, and so far we've sold about 11,000 of them. (laughs) Because, you know, as I said, you can monetize fun, and I'm a slut. I'll sell anything. (laughs) Family show. So, uh, were you raising your hand? Yeah, yeah. So, at CHS Field, what's your favorite location within the park? Um, I like the berm. Um, we put 500 seats on sale the day of game for $5. And that berm is the best seat because you're looking back at the city and the skylight of St. Paul from that. So the left field, anywhere in left field, as long as you're not behind the beer dabbler. Well, I want you to be behind the beer dabbler in so many ways. And did I mention the beer dabbler? Well, you can get your favorite one of 36. But over the left field wall, looking back, is the most beautiful view of the of the city. And it's a true urban ballpark. And that's why I think it's been so successful. That, combined with the fact that it's in Lower Town and the 400 artists, it gives it that vibe that people respond to. But that's, that's the best seat in the house. Okay. Uh, other... Ooh. So for those people who are serious baseball fans, it does appear that your your players are progressively getting better. How do you get the players in, and do how many are moving on to to you know the classic uh, big contracts? Um, One hundred and forty-two players, as of the last count, have gone back to major league organizations. Twenty-one players have gone to the big leagues. So an average of about one a year goes to the big leagues and 140 have had their careers resurrected. And we use the same network that the Twins use. We, we use all the same scouts. So if, if a guy calls, let's use Kevin Millar as an example. Kevin Millar played, got a World Series ring with the Marlins. He got a World Series ring with the Red Sox. He was undrafted out of um, Lamar University, and Dirty Al Gallagher called me, and he goes, I got a guy down here to complain. I'm sorry, Dirty Al Gallagher? Yeah, I can't tell that story here. It's, it's, it's like a Lenny Bruce story, and I got murdered with that jukebox in my pants. This is even worse. <laughs> this ain't about the music, man. All right. Gary Indiana. Oh, sorry. All right, sorry. I was I having didn't mean a flashback. But anyhow, Dirty Al called, and, and the major leagues missed Kevin Millar. But the same scouts that send players to the Twins all the time, it's just pick and choose. And so when a player's released, for example, a guy will call George, or he'll call me, or he'll call Derek and say, I got a guy, he's a head case, but he can play short. And, you know, like Daryl Strawberry, Jack Morris, who's going, you know, into the hall, obviously. Pitch for the Saints for a half a season. Um, I had him actually sold to the Yankees, and um, 
he left after pitching July 1st, and and so he would have had another World Series ring that year. So it's real baseball. It's roughly double-A if the pitching's okay, if there's a great guy on the mound or a woman, in the case of Isla Borders, who pitched for the Saints, then you see a triple-A game. But it's great minor league baseball. It's just you can't stand up and say that, although thanks for the chance for actually to talk about what my real product is. <laughs> All right. Uh, yeah. And people are getting up to leave. <laughs> oh, it's about baseball. I have to go now. Well, this is actually sort of another question about baseball exactly. Um, <clears throat> you mentioned how attention spans are getting shorter, and there's a lot of talk these days about the actual game of baseball being too slow and boring for today's generations. And I know you said it's not all about baseball, but I'm wondering what sort of ideas you might have about making the game itself more entertaining for the audience. You get 20 seconds once you get the ball back, and that should be enforced, and there's not an umpire in this world right now that will enforce the 20-second clock. Also, you don't need to step out 27 times. You don't need to make pitching changes you know, um, what was it, Chuck Knobloch, who perfected the taking his wristbands off, and then he took his wristband guards off. and then um, So it's up to the umpires to enforce the time um, of play and the speed of it. And so there's been an added um, emphasis this year on it. But I don't really believe it's a game to be savored. You know, it's a game so that you can have conversation. You don't take your son or your daughter um, to, to a Vikings game at the price of those tickets and have time to talk. So baseball has always had this kind of, I don't say languid, but the rules have to be enforced. Television, baseball isn't product, and the television rules us. Now they sell three minutes between because it's all about the money. You know, can you imagine when Bob Gibson was playing? He had games that were an hour and 59 minutes because he was all business. And we need a few of those guys out there, guys like Scherzer and stuff. Get the network, stop controlling baseball. The money's become so large. Get a commissioner that allows. Here's an interesting fact. You can get an autograph from Bill Murray and A-lister at CHS Field easier than you can get a big league shortstop to sign an autograph for your kid. Why is that? The reason baseball's got some problems and people talk about the speed is because the players aren't accessible. Girls go down on the field, and a seven-year-old, which is the prime time to get her to become a baseball fan, she can't get it, her hero. She can't get an autograph. And that's, that, that affects a great deal how people are talking about it. I think it's great that people are using um, you know, mobile devices and stuff like that because ultimately, you know, when she says no, you've got to look up so to speak. All right. There was a question here. So who comes up with, like, most of the ideas that you guys use? Like, for example, the raccoon game or, like, the Aints game and stuff like that. Like, is there a specific team or is it just kind of all hands on deck there? It's it's really all hands on deck. And and what's a really wonderful thing, when you put out this, you know, after 10 years, the Saints had – uh, were very successful at Midway, and that was a whole different experience And now. But as I was talking about earlier about nurturing, people who, like Daryl Strawberry, want to resurrect their careers or want to do something different, 
I get some of the greatest men and women to work because they've worked for big league organizations and they've heard no one time too many. So Sean Aronson came up with the raccoon. I was on the on with Barrero and they're talking about this raccoon on the twenty third floor. And the next thing I know, my ball club has announced they're changing their uniforms. Now, am I a man with control or what? <laughs> I had nothing to do with it. So after the break, Barrero goes, that's a pretty funny idea. I go, it was nothing. <laughs> that's all I do. I hire great people. I let them do their job. And then I hog all the credit. It's not a mistake that a pig's our mascot. All right. I had a question here and then I'll come back over. I am a big baseball fan, but what I really want to know is who came up with the uh, drag the field out con? Norma and I don't know each other, really. We just met, I swear to God. But she sit with my pal Connie, so, you know. But I have to admit that that was mine. I love that. I just thought in the fifth inning it would be a lot of fun to have drag queens drag the infield. You know, I'm just, you know, call me crazy. I thought it would be a really funny idea. And, of course, everybody goes, that's not going to work. What are the kids going to say? You know what the kids say? They go, good God, look at those women. (laughs) It's just fun. It makes people laugh. You know, the the one you could never do now is the day of the OJ chase. We just had a Ford Bronco come out. And it drove around the warning track three times and went away. Now, if you did that in the big leagues, somebody would be going, do you notice the Ford Bronco, our sponsor today, Ford. Midway Ford, the greatest deal for the greatest wheels. It's a steal. We didn't say anything, and people love it. People are smart. That's what. That's why you don't need scoreboards and you don't need instructions. Okay, you can laugh now. People get it. And in a Saints game, it's street theater, and a baseball game broke out. And we don't ever explain them. People are like, hey, look at those drag queens. That's funny. So I have to ask a serious sort of follow-up. And I asked a version of this earlier, but uh, has that gotten any harder? Do you feel as though uh, people talk a lot, at least, about that our, we live in an era where people are much more careful uh, and much more uh, cognizant of the things they say and do and how that impacts different groups of people and whatnot. And we think about that maybe in ways we didn't 10, 20 years ago. And I'm wondering if that culture, that change in the culture has mm, impacted the kind of work that you all do or that sense of fun or humor. Yeah, I mean, you have to be. The kids are smarter, so the gags that used to work, you know, don't necessarily work. But it makes you work harder. Um, You know, the instant. I mean, that was really a true story. I was literally on K-Fan, and the ball club is announcing we're going to become the raccoons and wear these special uniforms. And, And that caught on. You know, last year we celebrated the 51st anniversary of Twister, which was invented here in the great state of Minnesota. We put 56,000 dots on the field, and we started at 20 minutes of 10, painted circles on the field, and at 6.03 we finished. We're not an overtime. We're not a right-to-work state over there. And CHS is like the Vatican, you know, it's self-contained. Yeah, and that's another show, yeah. Then we got... <laughs> Then we got, <laughs> that was very funny. Then we, 
then we got everybody together, and and Sierra, who is the greatest promo guy, it's ever been my privilege to work with. She's 26, best promo guy in America, as far as I'm concerned. She goes, Mike, what happens if it rains? And I said, she goes, what happens if these 56,000 dots that we just painted get wet? I said, I don't know. She goes, you're a fraud. I said, you're just finding that out now? Pull the curtain back. I am Oz, the great and terrible. Yes, it's harder to come up with great gags, and it should be. you got to work harder because audiences are smarter. They're more demanding, and that just sharpens your game. All right, there was another hand right here. So the guy to my right has actually dragged the field in a pink dress, but I recognize the tennis shoes. Um, so speaking of the pig He was mess- so manly. <laughs> I got more letters the next day about those tennis shoes and the man who filled them. That's why people came out. <laughs> so speaking of the pig mascot, what happens to it at the end of the season? Oh, for Lord's sake. Now, this is a perfect example of what's going to get you in trouble. What you're supposed to say is, he goes out to this wonderful idyllic valley and he eats until his backbone snaps, which is usually... That's a, no, don't say that. Of course not, but that's in case PETA's here. People enjoying tasty animals. The truth is we put that sucker on the grill and fire it up and thank him for his service. See, that's not what you wanted to hear. Let's go back to the first one. He goes yonder over hill and valley. Yeah. That's, that's better. But uh, if you want to get some coverage and you're a business, small business owner, just attack an animal. Just go. PETA will be there in a matter of minutes. I thought you were going to go in a different direction, which is if you're a business owner and you would like to adopt a pig and save it somehow, uh, you, then it's up for a no? You're not willing to? I'll I, lo- I loved Lenny Bruce, and I'm going to just leave it at that. Okay. Um... All right, so I'm going to just ask uh, one, one or two last questions here, which is just... The last question. <laughs> one, one or two last questions. So, uh, so uh, I am curious. Well, I did actually want to ask a moment ago, you were talking about uh, CHS field, uh, beautiful, wonderful field, but you did move from Midway. Is there anything you miss about Midway? Everything. What? Say, say it more. was like a, it was exactly, it was a county fair, and it felt to me the way... Um, when I was a kid and the circus would come to town or, you know, the Clyde Beatty, the, not the big ones in the amphitheaters, but the ones that set up out on the fields and stuff. And that's always what Midway reminded me of. And it had that kind of feel. So we did great numbers with kids. We did great numbers um, uh, with everyone except teenagers and people dating. And CHS... Wait, you know that, like, you did we not... We actually do, did research. And so people who are like, I am not on a date, check. Uh, like, that was, that was a... Listen, we're all on a date. I don't know what this whole thing is about, politically correct. I'm still dating. I've been dating the same woman for 30 years. She says it's boring. I say I'm just getting used to it. That's nice. So uh, CHS field, county fair, and, and you feel like that the... Flavor is slightly different. And yeah, everybody said. Everybody said as soon as Target Field opened, they said, "Boy, you guys are dead," and that comes back to the fun. And they said they're gonna they're gonna have the greatest ballpark in America. Minnesotans don't realize the pressure 
that, that in the number one building in America to watch a ball game is Target Field. Number three is the XL Energy Center, and this new Alliance <laughs> soccer field is going to be right up there. That's tremendously that's a lot of pressure. Number two was Lambeau Field. Somebody always they just did that to annoy you guys. They just put Lambeau Field in there. But but the fact is is that the experience at Midway was totally different. And and we knew that it was going to be one where people would walk. Nobody walked to Midway unless they were lost. You know, I mean, uh, you would have had to even be- Giggles, who ran Gabe so well for all those years, he didn't walk, and he was down the street. But people walk to this when they go to a saloon. They come into the ballpark. By the way, the only ballpark in America to win an A1A architectural award. The only ballpark, major league or minor league. Designed by, of course, a full team of women designing it, which is why it's intelligent. Women build things that are understated and elegant, and men like to build stadiums that go up. So um, it must have gone up once in a while, Dan. There we go. So uh, I, I one last piece on this uh, the baseball piece, which is just I am curious. St. Paul, and you know, you talked a little bit about that you left Chicago. Is it, was there something either special that drew you to St. Paul and Minnesota, or something that you learned about Absolutely. it? Absolutely, I got here. You know how sick Chicagoans are of the second city. Good Lord, we grew up our whole life. We go, yeah, but it's not New York. Okay. So I come up here in November of 91, and I walk from the intercontinental, well, it was the Radisson then, out to Midway. It's eight miles, and I walk through all the neighborhoods. And by the time I was six miles into that walk, all I knew was there was a huge chip on everybody's shoulder in St. Paul when it comes to Minneapolis, which is why we did the shirt. You don't read about Minneapolis in the Bible. No, sir. It's never mentioned. It's 100 years younger. We've got the great architecture. We have the libraries that are in the top 10. This is a, 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 there's a little chip on every one of our shoulders. And so I get off coming from Chicago with a huge chip on my shoulder. I meet St. Paulites and I go, mm, I think this could work. If I could just not louse this up for, I just wish my old man had lived long enough to see this. He would have loved it. He'd have never believed it. He used to, when he had the Milwaukee Brewers, he came to St. Paul and used to start fistfights in the crowd trying to get a, try, trying to get, you know, a rivalry going. Here, we don't even have to do that. We just bring the drag queens out and everybody's like, oh, we're going to go back to Sioux City. And is this part of why, because, uh, which really smells. So I'm. Mean, we so we do comedy or whatnot, and we're Minnesotans, and I love Minnesota. Minnesotans not necessarily though, like sort of heralded for our sense of humor or like our sense of fun and joy often. And so I'm wondering if that actually helps what you do, or if it made it so that it was a harder sell. Well, to the people who were who were interested in the baseball, just look at this, Joe Maurer. Paul Molitor, Dave Winfield, I mean, Jack Morris, any questions? This is a baseball hot area. And, and we were talking earlier, people who are baseball fans, it's a very literate town. And Minnesotans are, are literate. They're well-informed. They're very political. You know, they, they read the paper. They even pay attention to the weather. When I first came up here, I'm like, what are they paying attention to weather for? July 1st, I was in my first flash flood. 
there was a, we had 6,000 people. We got 3,000 evacuated. And then it was four feet deep in water for an hour. So Minnesotans are smart. They're well-informed. They pay attention to, to the world around them. And so we just try to throw enough stuff out there that something sticks, you know. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. So, uh, and this is the last, uh, circling back to fun is good, because uh, we, we had a lot of questions about baseball. And yet, I really am passionate about it. I mean, we started a civic improv comedy troupe that this fun uh, is good really resonates well beyond that. So if there are folks in the audience who are thinking like, yeah, that, that makes sense. I want where I work or I want like the things that I do to, to be fun. And I think that that'll be valuable. Like, how do, you, how do they start? How do, you, how do you get that going wherever you are? We just have a simple, we, we, we have four or five um, people um, Karen and, and Fran and, and Dr. Emily and Al Fadden, who are um, the best at what they do, and they take very simple concepts and break them down so that you can apply them um, in the workplace. We work, Connie, for example, she and I have worked together putting a, putting a group together. People want to have fun. They have the capacity for joy. And most everybody has an experience in their life where they say, gosh, if my workplace were just like my Fridays and Friday nights and Saturdays, it would be wonderful. And they can be. They re- when my daughter was diagnosed having retinitis pigmentosa and she was going blind, I can tell you, I drew on fun. I went back and said, how can we make this fun? And we, we went on The View one night. She and I together did this show. And they kept asking her, because she was seven, what are you going to say? What are you going to say? What are you going to say? And she changed everything. As we were walking out through the chords like you guys are used to doing, we walked out there and we sang this song, Retinitis, Pigmentosa. And my wife froze. And the people interviewing her were like crazed. And they said, why would you let your daughter do that? Because when I'm laughing, I'm not as afraid. I'm not scared. And we're all, I'm tired of being frightened. I said that. I didn't feel safe. And so you go into the workplace, and, and, and we're joyous creatures. We're joyous creatures. Nobody on, you know, on their last, on their deathbeds going, gosh, I waited, I made one more dollar. But one more laugh wouldn't have been bad. One more laugh wouldn't have been bad. It's the WD-40 of life. There's nothing better than laughter. On that profound note, please, a tremendous round of applause. Mr. Mike Beck, everybody. Thank you so much. You are absolutely fantastic. Thank you. The show was recorded live at the Amsterdam Barn Hall in St. Paul. If you'd like to attend a show in person or even work with us, you can find out more information at our website at www.t2p2.net. It was also made possible by a cultural star grant from the city of St. Paul.